God, we give you thanks that we have been able to gather to sing and to hear your word and scripture proclaimed. We pray that you would continue to speak to us this day and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, we find ourselves in the second week of this series on the Beatitudes, where we hear Jesus's words, uh, influential words that he comes and gathers together. In many ways, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is Jesus's you know, shine and glory of his moment of teaching. Everyone had seen him as a teacher and wise. He had gone off to the temple when he was young, and the priests and the scribes had seen that Jesus was uh, someone notable even at a young age. And then here he gathers people together after getting the disciples, and people are interested to hear what he has to say. And they come up on the mountainside, and then he begins with the words that you've just heard. And for many of us, they seem awkward and upside down from what we would expect Jesus to proclaim in his teaching to all. And they seem awkward and upside down because we talked last week about how the, the phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, doesn't really jive with much of what we kind of celebrate in popular society. We don't say, blessed are the losers of the World Cup for they had the joy of God, right? We don't say blessed are those who miss out on the promotion or get fired or laid off or get an F in their class. We say blessed are those who do the opposite, don't we, in society. And yet Jesus says something radically different. And, and so, much, so much that this scripture that we're going to be talking about in specific today, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted seems totally odd, especially if you think about the other translation that you might have in one of your Bibles. The Greek word for blessed is also translated as happy, wholeness, and completeness, so to speak. And so many translations might even, instead of saying blessed are those who mourn, it would say happy are those who mourn. I don't know if any of you have been in a place of mourning or sorrow, but to hear the words happy are those who mourn doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And in fact, if you try to tell someone who's in the midst of sorrow about how their sorrow is going to turn to joy or, you know, become something better, they may or may not hit you upside the head, never talk to you again, or just be, you know, traumatized by your words, especially if their sadness lingers a little bit. And I know each of us have different sadnesses in our lives, right? We can all probably go back to a point in our life and in our journey, and perhaps we're there now, where we literally don't know that tomorrow could be any better. That something so tragic had happened or a loss in our life that tomorrow doesn't seem to be hopeful or filled with good. I remember my first experience with that, which, you know, looking back on it is different now than it was then. But I had dated a girl for a couple years in college, so much so that we had talked about getting engaged. And it was between my junior and senior year of college. And, you know, then she went off to camp and she uh, started, I don't know, seeing other guys and wanting to enjoy them around them. And all of a sudden, this relationship that I thought was really steady had come crashing down, and so did my entire world, right? 
there's a, a Johnny Cash song. I'm, I'm like a uh, melancholy, you know, emo kid. So I have music kind of like sits with me for a little bit. But there's a Johnny Cash song that says, I guess someday I'll forget my lover. You know, and it kind of keeps on going. I just like had that on repeat, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know that song, right? You know, I just had that on repeat and just kind of listened to it over and over again, not believing the words that someday I'll get over this. And my friends around me had no idea what to do with me because I was just, you know, reading my book. And, you know, I, because it was theology, I even had a pipe. I would smoke a pipe and sit there reading a book because I thought I'd be Gandalf, you know, and just, and just sit there and be sad. And if anyone tried to be happy or tell me in a month from now I was going to be better, I would just, you know, not talk to them for another week or two. And sure enough, that was a time for me that kind of allowed me to do some soul searching about who I am and what I wanted to do. And, and it's in that time that I, I started to change my perspective just a little bit on relationships. I had realized during then that I was a little bit too dependent on the relationship. Go figure as, you know, I just was kind of, you know, in the wallowing. I was too dependent on that relationship for my own well-being and that if that relationship failed, so did everything around me. And so what I had thought was the worst time in my life eventually became an opportunity for me to learn something out of it. In fact, I don't know, this makes zero sense to me. So, I mean, women out there, maybe it made sense to you. But in fact, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be with my wife now, Ashley. Because I remember we were driving from Sacramento to Tahoe. We were going to go visit one of my friends. And Ashley was like in this mode of kind of, I don't know, she was like, I don't even remember what she was saying. But all of a sudden, like I stopped and said, if you're going to be like this, this is going to go nowhere. <laughs> and it was like, I was like, I look back and I wonder why in the world would I ever say that? But then she will literally tell friends now, the reason why she stuck with me is because I was so direct and clear and honest about where I was that that stood out to her as attractive, right? And so like, I have no, makes no sense to me, but she was looking for what I learned from this tragedy within my life or what I had seen as tragedy. Of course, hindsight is 2020, and many of us can look back on those moments of sadness and darkness and, you know, move beyond them. And perhaps someone might have said, oh, you're just going to get over this later. And sure enough, you do get over this later. But not all tragedy and sadness is that way, is it? Some pains stay with us a little bit longer. The loss of a child or a loved one the pain of a missed opportunity that you just knew was right, that stays with you. Happy are those that mourn, Jesus says. A long-standing tradition throughout Scripture is God speaking to and hearing those that cry out. It's not a new phrase that Jesus was teaching, blessed are those who mourn, but rather a reminder of how God has acted throughout the history of God's people, or at least that they had hoped. One of the things that many of us, I think, in our kind of comfortable, more comfortable society forget is that the Bible was written to and for and by oppressed people. And so the words that blessed are those who mourn 
were so familiar to them because many of them had mourned over the high taxes that they had. Many of them have lost a loved one due to the Roman aggression to keep their power and their might intact. Many of them have lost a child due to the drastically high childhood morbidity. They had known what it was to mourn. But they held on to the words after. Not that blessed are those who mourn because all will be made right. Blessed are those who mourn because it's just a passing phase. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, Jesus said. For they shall be comforted. And the long-standing tradition throughout the Bible is that God doesn't always right the wrongs, unfortunately. But God always comes to provide comfort, to bring a prophet in to speak the words of the people that they know that their cries and their doubts have not remained silent. So the prophet Isaiah speaks out the hope of God for God's people, that those who mourn will not always do so. And that God had not forgotten God's people. The prophet Isaiah is a number of prophets, actually. It's kind of a fallacy to say one person. It's probably more like three different prophets. And the prophets were speaking at various times to various tragedies that had been happening. One of which was prior to the time when they were exiled in Babylon. Another of which was kind of in between this sort of the, the collapse of the northern kingdom and then the time when the Babylons came in as well. And then after that, we think that as the Israel started to make their way back into the land, to find that people had changed, customs had changed, everything had changed time that was supposed to be joyful and happy and celebratory was also filled with this loss. just wasn't the same. There's a, a phrase that I like to call the missio dei. I don't, I, not just me, like to call, many people like to call. And that's a phrase that means the mission of God. The mission of God. And we see that most clearly in God's coming to us in Jesus. And one of the things that, I, that you can say that I've heard said is the mission of God is God going to the margins to be with those that suffer, be with those that mourn, be with those who feel left out and abandoned. And if you know the story of Jesus and where it leads beyond the Sermon on the Mount, you know that Jesus' promise is not one that everything gets better for everyone because he ends up on the cross. But there's some sort of power in the mission of God going not to be for, to change all the problems, but to be with the comfort that is there of someone that stands by your side. I go back to uh, that time in college when I was at my depressed state, and I think about the ways in which people could respond and didn't respond or ended up responding. The ones that drove me crazy was that God never gives you anything more than you can handle, right? Oh, don't worry, God's testing you, and you're going to come out the other side a better person. 
or the ones that, like I said, just say, oh, don't worry, you know, it'll be better in a year or two. As if my pain was just some trivial matter that I was just going to flip over. But one of the friends that I'm closest to still, his name was Troy. He was also a theology student, and he was kind of an introvert sometimes. He was my roommate that year. And so what he would do as I sat out there melancholy, listened to music, smoking my pipe, reading my theology books, uh, he just sat there and just hung out. He didn't tell me I needed to be okay or tell me that, why don't we go out and party? He didn't tell me any of those things. He just was with. And it was that power of being with that I started to see the power of God's mission and what it really means to those who mourn. Because the comfort that you receive when you are at that place is a love like no other. Someone who stands by your side and is with you in the hard places of life's journeys. Not waiting for you to get out the other side, but in it, alongside it, a shoulder to cry on. Blessed are those who mourn. But the thing is, is that that's an individual side that Jesus is talking about. But there's also this corporate side I think Jesus is talking about as well, the mission of God. I've heard it said that where God's heart breaks and God's people come to action is the kingdom of God at work. Where God's heart breaks and where God's people come into action is where the kingdom of God is at work. If you think about it, sadness can be a sadness that we need people to come along with, but sadness can also be something that stirs up in us the need for justice, for something to be made right in this world. Just this past week, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr., and we're moving into Black History Month and to remind us of those that have paved the way for civil rights in our society. And I promise you one thing, the road that paved the way is not a road of skipping, jumping, smiling, and singing all the way. It was a road of blood, sweat, and tears. It was a sadness over the inequalities that had existed that launched God's people into action to say, no, this will no longer remain that way. And so sadness not only teaches us that God is with us always, and that the mission of God is to come and be with us, and the friends in our lives and the family in our lives that do that with us teach us that. Sadness also launches us launches us out into the world to say the wrongs that are there cannot stay. And each of us know what breaks your heart and imagines what breaks the heart of God. Each of us has passions that we want to see righted in the world. And Jesus seems to lay them out as well for us. He lists out not the people that have everything and everything they need and will ever need in the future, but instead lists out the poor, the broken, 
the oppressed, the mournful, and says they will be comforted. And it's a movement into action for us to see what we believe breaks the heart of God. And trust that the mission of God, that God has already hopes and desires to be there, because if God's hearts break, God is there listening and in those spaces. But to go and to be alongside and to work for the change. You know, every day, one of the things I do before I get up into the pulpit is I open up my news. Because if I open up my news, I know what's happening in the world, and I can't come to the altar or come to the pulpit without being able to speak about what's going on. And we've heard the refrain over and over again, friends, haven't we? You know, like the thoughts and prayers when tragedy strikes. And I don't know if you've opened your news, but yet again, another shooting happened in our nation. Ten people dead, ten injured in a suburb of Los Angeles. No more details other than an assault rifle that goes into a space with lots of people and nothing but tragedy happens after. I don't know any answers, but I know God's heart breaks. And that should break our hearts as well. And that shouldn't launch us to do something. And the same way, it should launch us to do something when we see, you know, our coastlines building up and the people that are affected by the climate change are those often on the poor island areas. What is it that breaks God's heart? And how will you go to be with, and not just that, be launched to make a change in this world? Because where God's hearts break, God, God's heart breaks, and God's people are moved to action, the kingdom of God will be there. So if you are at that place of sadness and darkness, I will not tell you what tomorrow is going to look like. And if you know someone that's there as well, don't try to do it either. Know that God is with you and remind your loved one that you are with them. And then for the corporate, let's look for what breaks God's heart and let's be moved to action. I invite you to pray with me. Loving God, you say, blessed are those that mourn. But you also remind us, for we will be comforted. And as we look at what breaks your heart throughout the world, we know it's massive problems oftentimes. And ones that just us as individuals, even as communities, can't change. We've tried to for years and don't seem to figure out ways. That also is a reminder of our need for you. That we can't do it alone. 
we need you. And for those that mourn and need comfort, they too need you. They need to feel the love of your presence. And they also need to feel the love of a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a stranger, willing to be with. And so we pray and we hold on to the hope that you hear our cries and that when we send out our SOS, you're always there. And as God's people, let us hear those cries as well and and be compelled to make changes to see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.